3: Welcome back to our second crossover edition of Strictly Stripes and the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Doug Maurice here hosting four experts on the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Just like we did on the first crossover pod, we are making an all Ohio, all 22. It's actually 24 because we did the punter and the kicker last time. We did the defense, we did the punter, we did the kicker, and now we are going to do the offense here. we got going to pick the best 11 guys Like if you're making an all-star team, we're going to take this Ohio NFL all-star team out into the world and challenge other states. That's what we're here to do. And we are going to do that with, from the Browns beat, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, I believe it's it's Mary Kay Cabot. I'm not sure you, I think you're one of the new people. Mary Kay, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do?
1: I'm Mary Kay Cabot. I have been covering the Cleveland Browns for way longer than i care to admit so i'm not going to put a number on it but it's it's long it's like longer than um at least two maybe three other people on this podcast so that are are, you know age wise so um yeah i've been covering the browns forever and uh you know I, i love doing the podcasts and looking forward to this game it should be fun
3: all right ashley I am
0: Ashley Bastock. I've, I just hit, we are recording this on Wednesday. I hit my year-long anniversary at Cleveland.com on Tuesday. Um, so I've been covering the Browns last year. There's obviously been plenty to talk about. It feels like I've been covering them for 10 years, given everything that's happened in the last year. Um, and I, unlike Mary I'm indifferent to doing our podcast because Doug and I are sworn enemies.
3: Oh, that's right. I forgot about it. We were. We are yeah. sworn enemies. Remember, I if also- you're team
0: Doug, you can't be friends with me.
3: And and also I just as a note, as a sworn enemy, I do believe the Browns are six and eleven since you joined the beat, Ashley. Listen, so I do think listen, I added that.
0: that somebody brought this up on Twitter that if I, I pointed out that it was my year anniversary, people might blame me for their downfall. But my response to that is I am from Northeast Ohio, so I've been here the whole time. I've been here for twenty nine <laughs> years and three hundred and fifty some days. So I don't know what to say to that.
3: <laughs> so those are the people who cover the Browns for us. and and are part of our Orange and Brown Talk podcast, and also the Strictly Stripes podcast covering the Cincinnati Bengals. Muhammad, introduce yourself.
2: I appreciate it, Doug. So if you guys got sick of seeing me yesterday, get used to it because I'm here again. But in all seriousness, yeah, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Uh, Just as Ashley celebrated her one-year anniversary, I just celebrated my one-month anniversary. So (laughs) it's been a blast. It's been fun. It's been a a wild but exciting ride. Uh, I came from... Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I did TV for the last two and a half years, but I want to try something different, especially being from Kentucky, which is, uh, my hometown's only an hour ish from Cincinnati, which I'm actually visiting my family right now. So I'm in Lexington, but yeah, it's been fun. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, let's get this party started, man. I'm all, I'm all here for it. All right. And Andrew.
4: Yeah. I'm, uh, Andrew Gillis, uh, uh, a little bit longer than Muhammad. I've been here almost two months now. Um, so my first day on the job was Zach Taylor's Monday press conference. My first game was that Week One overtime bonanza against the Steelers. Uh, so I feel like I've kind of, you know, had a trial by fire here for the first couple of uh, first couple of weeks. So um, hasn't been, I would say, as crazy as maybe the Browns beat has been. But it's, uh, I mean, it's certainly been something. I mean, we got a team that was in the Super Bowl, like you know, 10 months or eight months, however long ago that was. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride and yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to Monday night.
3: So we are here to create this all 22. We're going to pick the the 11 offensive players for this all Ohio all-star team. And we're doing it with expertise from our one company. So we have people living in Cincinnati doing this full time for Bengals fans. We have people living in Cleveland doing this full time for Browns fans. Why do we do this? Because this is Ohio, and this is football, and we like doing it, and we know that you guys want great coverage, and we want to give it to you. So we're giving it to you with what we're all writing at cleveland.com slash Browns at cleveland.com slash Bengals, and we want to do it on the Strictly Stripes podcast and on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, and we're so excited to be here together. Listen to the first episode. We did the defense, the kicker, and the punter, and now let's start with the offense, and we'll start at quarterback – just so people understand this, we're, we're kind of thinking th- about this as like the team you'd put out there now. So there's some things with like injuries or guys who are out. How do you account for that? But we're being re- realistic about this. So Mary Kay, introduce us to the candidate to be the Browns possible guy who could be the quarterback for this all Ohio
1: team. Well, that would be one Deshaun Watson, who came back into the building on October 10th and has an opportunity uh, to be reinstated December 4th and go back and play the Texans, his old team, on December 4th. Uh, So in terms of Deshaun Watson, the reason why the Browns went out and took this enormous risk and spent $230 million on him and gave up three first-round draft picks is because he is the elite of the elite. He's right up there with Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers, in the conversation for one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I truly believe that he has Hall of Fame talent and ability. Now, will he get there? He needs, you know, maybe four or five more seasons of – Excellent, excellent play. Maybe even more than that. Uh, But I believe that that's the kind of ability that he has. Some of the numbers bear that out. Uh, He has the highest completion percentage of all time, 67.8%. The last time he played a full season, he led the league in passing yards, and he was number two in rating. He can do it all. There's nothing you cannot do with him. He can make every single throw. In fact, he's third on the NFL's all time list in terms of yards per attempt at 8.32. That's behind Hall of Famers Otto Graham and Sid Luckman. He's a dual threat quarterback. Although he didn't have a blazing 40 time at the Combine, he gets the job done with his legs. He's shifty. He's fast. He he can move. He can run the keepers. He can do all of that. He can hit the long ball. He's incredibly accurate, as you can see, uh, by his completion percentage. Now, the thing about him, and he has made the Pro Bowl in each of his three full seasons, um, the thing about him is that he's only one and two in the playoffs. So that's something to keep an eye on there. But when he did get there, he threw four touchdowns, one interception, 63.5% completion percentage, uh, and a 91.0 rating. Some of it is the talent that you have around you. And on this team, I actually think he needs another receiver or two, but that's a discussion uh, for another part of this podcast. Uh, but I, I think he's got it all. I think he's got what it takes. I think he can lead this team to the promised land. and uh, And I think that, you know, I think he can do so – in this first contract that he signed with the Cleveland Browns.
3: All right, Andrew, introduce us to the Bengals quarterback and good luck. Mary Kay auto graham and Sid Luckman you. So uh <laughs> so we'll see who you reference here talking about Joey B.
4: Yes, yeah, I mean, should I? I'm just going to start with just saying Boomer Esiason and Carson Palmer and John, you know John Kidner or whoever, and then just start with that and get them on the table, just so we have the names out there. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, I think we do have the Bengals' best quarterback in franchise history right now um, on board. Uh, obviously, Joe Burrow, Ohio's native son, grew up in in Athens, Ohio, went to Ohio State, transferred to LSU, and. Mary Kay was talking about the risk the Browns took kind of trading for him. The Bengals didn't really have much of a risk to take. Uh, They were the worst team in the league in 2019 because Joe Burrow was so efficient at LSU leading that offense. He was the clear number one pick came into the league, had a up and down rookie year in 2020 tore up his knee, got hurt, came back in 2021 and he darn near single-handedly essentially won the Bengals the Super Bowl a year ago. So, you know, you're know, you talking about a quarterback that has every single attribute that you are looking for in a franchise quarterback that you know can last for 20 years, that can last for five years. That can, it can really kind of span time here with Joe Burrow. I mean, just this year, he had a pretty bad game against the Steelers week one. Since then, his completion percentage has been over 70%, 13 touchdowns, one interception. He had over a 70% completion percentage last year. You know, there was so much talk about him going into the NFL and his arm strength and, you know, can he hold up in the NFL? And he really has. Um, you know, there's no problem with any throw he can make. He can throw it anywhere at any time. Um, there, There's just a lot to like about not only the way that he plays on the field, but kind of how the guys respect him, what you want in a leader, what you want in a quarterback. I mean, everybody knows the, the pictures of him walking into the stadium with, you know, these grand outfits on that would make me look ridiculous and him look awesome. Everybody knows how he looks and how he carries himself. And he's just got that killer mentality, which is exactly what you want in a quarterback. And, and the way that he's played on the field this year has been really remarkable. So to me, you know, Joe Burrow is he's an outstanding quarterback. Um, he's obviously one of the best young quarterbacks in the league, and he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the league for a very long time.
3: And, and I don't know if this might be a tiebreaker in this discussion. He's also a Cavs fan, and he likes Matthew Della Vadova. So I don't know if that matters to anybody. <laughs> Ashley, the, the fascinating thing about this is the Browns tanked, and they had the number one pick two straight years. And if they had had the number one pick two years later, in 2020 instead of 2018, they would have taken Joe Burrow, right? Everybody in the league would have taken Joe Burrow when they took him number one. So it's not fanciful to think about, you know, the paths. oh, what – How do you try to, how do we figure this out, Ashley? I mean, we're going to do this for the next 12 minutes. So I'm not asking you to make the decision right now, but we are going to have discussions here where you are maybe coming from points of weakness and trying to pick the best guy. And then you're going to be coming from points of strength. And it's like, man, you know, we could be having discussions with other teams where it's like, I mean, be obvious you'd take Burrow or Watson because the other option is, you know, whatever, who, what's the name of the guy, Zach Mills. Who's the guy in Houston, Zach Davis Davis Mills, yeah, Davis Mills, <laughs> Davis Mills, no Zach, you know? So I mean, like I, he seems like a Zach. So then, I mean, like, right, but here we're talking about, and, and I almost feel like the success of Joe Burrow, it, you know, in addition to the success of a bunch of other quarterbacks around the league, almost ramped up the Browns of like, Hey, I don't know if this is good enough. We got to get better at quarterback. How do we even go about trying to pick Watson or Burrow here, Ashley?
0: So, I will say, like, I, I don't know how other people feel. I feel like this is the really the debate to have on the offense amongst these two teams. I think there's a lot of choices that we're going to go through that are real obvious um, the rest of the way. But yeah, it's hard. We were, we actually got into a little, you know, discussion about this in the Browns media room last week, and we were pretty evenly split. I really think it kind of depends on. On what you're looking for. And obviously, I think it goes without saying with Deshaun Watson, we're, you know, this is on the field stuff that we're talking about and that we're debating, because if you add in the off the field sexual misconduct allegations that Deshaun Watson uh, has battled, then it, it becomes obvious, right? Everyone is picking Joe Burrow over Deshaun Watson, given all the baggage that he comes with. But when you talk about what they can do on the field, it's really interesting because Joe Burrow obviously has less experience, but his processing is just so impressive. Deshaun I think has some more gifted physical abilities, um, and it's a question of can Joe Burrow match that eventually? And I, I think ultimately it's kind of like what you prefer, right? And Joe Burrow's you know had even though he's been in the league you know less years has already made it to a Super Bowl, which is impressive in and of itself. So I think this is the toughest debate that we're going to have on this podcast today. And honestly, right now, I, I don't know how I'm going to decide ultimately.
3: Muhammad, is, the, is there an area where you think a guy has a clear edge on the other guy? Right? Is there you think, ah, I really value this, and I think this guy might be a little better at it? I think with
2: Joe Burrow, in that sense... The advantage is, kind of like Andrew said, he has a killer mentality. Like, he's calm, he's cool, he's collected. But more importantly, the best way to describe it is he's calculated. I'm not saying Watson isn't. I just think Burrow is a little more calculated. And without bringing in the baggage with the allegations that Ashley referenced, at the same time, it just seems to me that, like, Joe Burrow seems to have a grip on the offense that I feel like Watson just never had in in Houston. Not that he never had leadership skills, but just the way he's poised Burrow is, the way he has that gravitas when he speaks in the huddle, like when you watch those mic'd up pieces and when you hear him talk after the game, it just seems like he just knows how to lead whether it's with seasoned guys like Ted Karras or someone like Jamar Chase that he played with at LSU who's like a brother from another mother to him. There's a certain poise that I can't even really fully explain because, you know, I never played quarterback. I don't play football, but I can just sense it. Whereas I just feel like with Deshaun, I don't even really know how to contrast it with him, but I I just don't know if, like, the leadership is as strong. And I'm not even trying to factor the the off-the-field stuff. I just think on the field, he... He doesn't really have the sort of just oomph, like the oomph that Joe Burrow has. It's like oomph in a way, you know? Like you just sense that when he's ready to go out there and, and just hammer the ball or just, you know, roll on an on a RPO or a play action. Again, I, I think Watson, like Mary Kay said, is super gifted. I mean, there's a reason why he was a rock star at Clemson. I think he could have gotten higher than he did in the draft five years ago, but it's
3: just that oomph factor that I sense from Joe Burrow. Uh, Deshaun is about a year and three months older than Joe Burrow, um, which is not quite as big as the the gap in their draft classes, right? Joe was a little bit older. Uh, I was around them both a little bit in college, obviously covered Joe Burrow at Ohio state. He always just was a guy that his teammates loved. But when I, you know, Ohio state played Clemson in a playoff game that I covered. And when I was sort of around Clemson and around Sean Watson that week, I was like, yeah, that guy's got it. Like, that's it. Like, that to me, that's what a franchise quarterback looks like to me. So, Mary Kay, I I, I think this is somehow part of it, and I, and I think we have to discuss this. Joe Burrow has really good receivers, and he had um, He has them now with the Bengals. He didn't have them his rookie year, but he has them now. He had them in college, and – they make him better and he makes them better. And that's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a negative for, to have good receivers. Deshaun Watson and Houston never had guys like this. And the conversation that we've had a lot when he came to the Browns is we think he'll elevate the level of play of all the Browns receivers. And as you said, Mary Kay, we're going to have a receiver discussion.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, does that, as we're trying to splice it here, does that factor in that, hey, if Deshaun Watson was playing with Jamar Chase and – T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, I mean, it might look pretty good, too. How do you try to factor that in?
1: Well, first of all, I want to just say also from the leadership standpoint, um, I have seen that sort of pizzazz in him and that, you know, sort of Pied Piper guys gravitate to him. He's the man kind of thing. Uh, You know, he, he took the guys to the Bahamas. I mean, there was definitely a feeling of we are rallying around this guy and he is the leader and he had an exalted status. So I think he's got that same uh, it factor that you're talking about with with Joe. I really do. I think he's got it. Um, But in terms of the receiving core, I agree 100 percent. I think People completely underestimate the power and the value of really good receivers in the NFL. You can't just say Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers in a vacuum and not give him really great receivers to throw to because it's not going to work. Same thing with Tom Brady. Now, in some cases, and maybe when they were both a little bit younger, they could take sort of a, you know, above average receiver and make him great. But I think for the most part, you want to have phenomenal weapons for your amazing quarterback. And I, I do think that the Browns have left themselves short in that regard. And absolutely. If you saw Deshaun Watson with that Bengals receiving core, it would be dynamite.
3: I do think Andrew that, I mean, this is, as we said, like, this is a high level discussion. We see sort of the changing of the guard of NFL quarterbacks right now. We see what's happening with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. And, some guys that might be the beginning of the end there and we see this new breed i, I think andrew like if we had a draft right now of draft a quarterback for your franchise for the next 10 years you know just pick whoever you want I, I, are these two top five picks like is that how high we're talking about, you know, Justin Herbert's been a little iffy this year and, you know, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen's Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson. I you know he's been a little up and down this year. How, how high of a level do you think we're talking about with Watson and Burrow?
4: Yeah, the, that's an interesting question. Um, as a, cause as I kind of run through this in my head, I think you've got one tier of Mahomes and Allen. I mean, those two guys are super weapons at quarterback. Like, those those to me like there is a break there is a tier break after those guys but then you got Lamar in my opinion you got Lamar third and then I like I think you've got Burrow and Watson right there because kind of like you mentioned like they it's kind of a newer age of quarterbacks and like if if you're starting a franchise those would be the two guys that I would want um you know, we, when you talk about uh, – Mary Kay was talking about Deshaun's and his kind of, you know, escapability and his movability. Like, the play that always rings in my mind is that play that he made in the playoff game against the Bills when they were at home. He had a defender come he, – he, you know, looking downfield, blindside defender comes in, drills him in the back, and somehow he gets out of it. Like, you just can't teach that. That, that is not something you can go around. So, you know, I think that Deshaun kind of has those qualities that a lot of quarterbacks just don't have. And I think that Joe Burrow has a lot of qualities and, and just accuracy and the way that he throws the football that a lot of other quarterbacks just don't have. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to teach a quarterback to be accurate, and Joe Burrow has that. So to me, I, I mean, if you're starting if you're starting with five, it, those are the five. I think these guys are probably fourth and fifth. Um, and, if you know, obviously this is the debate we're having. Who do you want fourth? But I, I think that those guys are, are kind of rounding out the top five.
3: All right, Ashley, you decide. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) I I don't know. Can we just – I want to state again for the record. We're all friends here. I don't don't actually know how you decide this. So so let me float this. I'll float a negative thing because I'm kind of that guy. How, Muhammad, do we factor in like the Joe Burrow sacks in here? And it it is maybe the one thing of Joe, right? Of like if you believe sacks are a quarterback stat, and I am I am a big believer in hold on to that ball because you want to make a play and I'll live with it like I'm fine with it. At times it goes a little far. Muhammad, how do we factor in the Joe Burrow sack situation here? That it kind of has been a thing if you believe sacks are a quarterback stat and maybe he does hold on to it. I kind of like guys who hold on to the ball wanting to make a play. But what is that discussion like still around the Bengals? Is it something that is something he needs to get better at, or just do you live with it because the upside's so good? That is a great question.
2: I think it's different if we're talking about this year
3: versus last
2: year. I really do think last year he was just helpless. Like most of those sacks last year, especially in the playoffs, were not his fault. Like you had an offensive line where at least half the guys were undrafted or were late-round draft picks. Besides Jonah Williams, that was not a good line. There's a reason why they spent over $20 million in free agency to get Ted Karras and Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins. Now, people will point to that week one game, the wonky game against Pittsburgh, and say, oh, well, what was the point of all of that? The linemen never fully played a preseason snap together. Burrow didn't even play in the preseason because he had surgery for appendicitis. So he had a lot of rust. Like I will say, yeah, in the first week, half of it was on him. Half of it was on the line. Since then, though, I don't really think it's it's been a – well, maybe like one or two sacks I think were just um, communication issues, especially I think one of them came against the Falcons. But I think so far the line has been really good this year. As a matter of fact, I think just the last two games they've played their best ball. But um, to kind of not get away from – The question about Burrow, I think the way he holds on to the ball is fine. I think it's better that he holds on to the ball because, I mean, that backyard Burrow magic, that happens when he's in the pocket and whether he's rolling out on third down like he did on that touchdown against the Saints or he's buying time in the pocket to throw deep. You want to have him hold on to the ball. Again, I think there are some times where he can be just a little bit smarter. But, no, I'd say uh, the sacks aren't really on him. I really think that was last year. 90% 90% offensive line, and this year it's the opposite. I think it's yeah, it's more 10% of the line, and then just occasionally here and there, one or bad reads. But no, I think he's fine. I don't think those are as big
3: of an issue as it should be and Mary Kay Deshaun also takes a lot of sacks.
1: I was just going to say I really wanted to just kind of point that out because Deshaun surprisingly does take a lot of sacks. Now, I don't think he will take as many sacks behind this Browns offensive line if they can stay healthy. I mean, Wyatt Teller needs to come back and and you know, they need to stay pretty healthy. Uh, but he was sacked 62 times uh in 2018, 3.8 times game and then 44 and 49 in his uh pre his final two years of being on the field and the 49 was good for like three times per game so he takes a lot of sacks too and that's one stat about him uh that I've wondered about
3: okay I don't know how we're gonna do it I'm like I think we could we could be hitting up five hours and kind of talk about the same stuff I I I'm going to just ask everyone to sort of make their pick and maybe explain briefly what it is that put the guy over the top of why you lean that way. I think we acknowledge it's a lean. I think there's a lot of 51, 49, here. I don't think this is a slam dunk by any stretch. And it is the whole point of this is that if all the stuff with Watson works out and clearly I think it's there with burrow, both these teams have franchise quarterbacks for the next six to eight to 10 years, and that is an incredibly important thing. Andrew, we'll start with you. Where are you leaning here?
4: Yeah, um, I feel like I like. I don't want it to sound like a homer pick, but I, I'm going with Joe Burrow um, if, if I had to take a quarterback. Um, to me, like I said, with, with accuracy, there, there are just things that throwing the football that you can't really teach. And, and I think Joe Burrow has that. And I'm not saying Deshaun doesn't. I just think when when you watch Joe Burrow throw the ball, for him to command an offense the way that he does, for him to put the ball where he does, I mean, you were talking about the offensive line. Like this year, he's got the third uh, the third fewest time to like seconds to throw um, in terms of just at like when he takes the snap to when he drops back. So you know he really doesn't have a ton of time, and he's still got you know borderline seventy percent completion percentage he does since game one. I mean there're two quarterbacks in the NFL that right now have a 70% completion percentage. So to me, um yeah, he's got the talented receivers um but I just the way that Joe Burrow throws the ball, the way that he processes an offense, that's just that's just unique, so I lean Burrow. All
3: right, Ashley, which way are you leaning? Man, this is tough.
0: I came into this thinking I was also going to be leaning towards Joe Burrow, and I do love Joe Burrow as a quarterback. Um, With the emphasis on lean, I think I'm going to go with Deshaun. Uh, A big part of that has to do with Mary Kay's argument. I think, like we've talked about, his skill and ability and his leadership ability on the field – this is why the Browns, you know, essentially, like I said this on our podcast, um, I think after the game, like sold their soul to make this deal and paid him a historic contract, despite all of the controversy around him. It's because he is that good. And I think we talked about completion percentage. It's right there. When we talk about his ability to process, yes, we haven't seen him in a game situation with the Browns, but I know Mary Kay saw it like I did in training camp. I mean, it's unlike anything that we have watched in Cleveland, I think. And if it can translate, like you said, Doug, it's their, it's their franchise quarterback. So it is really hard, and I'm, I might regret this decision in maybe five minutes, but I'm going to say I'm leaning towards Deshaun because I just think he has more physical abilities on top of all the processing and leadership qualities in a locker room that Joe Burrow
2: has.
3: One-to-one, one. Muhammad, where are you leaning?
2: First off, i got to say Mary Kay has really, really good arguments. Like I actually came into this uh, opposite of Ashley, kind of leaning Joe Burrow versus leaning uh, Deshaun Watson. And I want to – it's a tough, tough lean. I want to go Watson, but my only thing is because I've just seen enough of Joe Burrow in person to really understand leadership skills, and not that those don't exist for Deshaun. Like Mary Kay's seen way more than I'll ever see with Deshaun Watson. My concern is just, you know, I understand the Browns sold their soul to make that deal. But he hasn't played a game since, what, 2020? He didn't play last year. He's not going to play till December 4th. I think he'll shake that rust off in no time. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, that's it. He's done. But there's going to be lost time that he's going to have to make up for that. I think Joe Burrow will take advantage of beating him out on. And for that, plus everything else I mentioned, I'm just going to have to go with Joe Burrow.
3: Mary Kay, where are you leaning?
1: Well, this might actually surprise you, but I'm going with Joe Burrow as well. There are so many things about Joe Burrow that you absolutely have to love from the minute he walks into the stadium with the wild outfits on. I mean, there there is just a star power about him. And I remember hearing him last year uh, talk about in an interview, talk about, talking about sitting with guys from other position groups in the cafeteria and, you know, setting the tone for coming. And Deshaun does a lot of that kind of stuff too. He really does. He unifies the team. I mean, he, uh, when Anthony Walker gave up his number to Deshaun, he did so many cool things for Anthony and they remind me of each other in in that respect. Deshaun is very generous in that way. I mean, he donated fifty thousand dollars to Anthony Walker's dad's football program where uh, where Anthony went to high school. So he does a lot of really cool stuff like that. But I really do think that that Joe has a unique it factor, like really, really unique. And again, I think it it includes the clothes, the personality, the on field leadership. Joe, he's Joe cool. I mean, he is Joe cool, right? I mean, like, it's just undeniable. And he's from Ohio. You know, I've got a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for that. And, um, you know, I I would be so proud if I were the owner of an NFL franchise, I would be proud to have him uh, as my starting quarterback. So I got to go with Joe.
2: Don't forget, he's also Joe Scheisty, not just Joe Cool, Joe Scheisty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one more thing too. I have to just that we didn't talk about, and I'm just going to take two seconds to say this, and that is the weather factor. I w- I wonder just a little tiny bit about Deshaun's ability to excel in weather, uh, you know, here in, in Cleveland and in the um, in the AFC North and all the games that he has to play up here. So that's something that we don't really know about yet, and we do know that about Joe.
3: So we're going to go with Joe Burrow here. I I will reference quickly their best seasons because they're basically the exact same season. What Deshaun Watson did uh, in Houston in 2020 and what Joe Burrow did last year. Joe Burrow's completion percentage last year, 70.4. Deshaun Watson in 2020, 70.2. Joe Burrow, 4,611 passing yards in 2021, Deshaun Watson in 2020 4823 so about 200 more yards per attempt Deshaun Watson 8.9 Joe Burrow 8.9 Joe Burrow 34 touchdowns 14 picks Deshaun Watson 33, 33 touchdowns 7 picks sacks Joe Burrow 51 sacks Deshaun Watson 49 so at their best they're practically exactly the same so like it's it's a, it's a reminder we're we're removed because we have Deshaun hasn't played And Deshaun is a little older, and I think, like to Burrow's credit, that was year two for Burrow. That was year four for Deshaun, right? But also, maybe Joe had a little more around him. So I don't think you can go exactly wrong here. We're picking Joe Burrow. We won't take this long on the other positions, but this was an interesting quarterback discussion to have. We'll get into the rest of the Offensive All-22 next on this crossover podcast of Orange and Brown Talk and Strictly Stripes. All right, time to talk offensive tackles. We're open to taking, you know, the two tackles from one team. We can take the two left tackles and make one guy play on the right side, whatever. Muhammad, present the Cincinnati Bengals tackles for this discussion.
2: All right. So at left tackle, the Bengals have fourth-year star Jonah Williams. He was the first ever pick of the Zach Taylor era. Um, won a national championship at Alabama. I think he won. Might have actually might have won two, but won a championship at Alabama. And I know earlier in the show, we talked about how Joe Burrow just suffered last year with a dismal offensive line. He was a bright spot. He was one of the good things that the Bengals had and still have on the offensive line. I mean, he's 6'5". He's big for his position. You know, you want to talk about toughness, as cliche as that is, the thing that really makes Jonah Williams tough is against Baltimore, his knee literally moved. And according to himself and Zach Taylor, he just put it back into place. Went back into the game after a couple snaps. Hasn't really missed any snaps since then. And, you know, he's what you want in a tackle. He's a proven leader. A lot of the guys look up to him, uh, especially being one of the longer-tenured players. But then on the right side uh, at tackle, you have Lyle Collins, who the Bengals got in free agency in the offseason. Came from Dallas before that. Had six or seven really good years there. Uh, the only downside is he's a little bit older, Um And I think he's had some back issues, especially because he didn't really play in the offseason or the preseason. So they have been resting him on Wednesdays as part of a veterans rest day. But uh, other than an ankle issue he had uh, against Atlanta last week, he's been healthy for the most part. He's done pretty well. Uh, I think that's really what they, they got, what they wanted out of him. I understand sort of the veteran rest issues can be a concern, but I don't think it's anything to worry about. So those are the Bengals tackles.
3: All right, Mary Kay Browns tackles.
1: Okay, I am going to start over on the left side with Jed Wills Jr. He was the Browns' 2020 number 10 overall pick. You do expect a pick uh, taken in the top 10 to be trending towards a Pro Bowl by the time they're in their third season, maybe their fourth season. So far, we haven't seen that level of play yet from Jed Wills Jr., but he has gotten a little bit better this year. Last year, uh, he had an ankle injury that hampered him the whole entire season. So he's doing better this year, uh, but he still needs to keep coming up that learning curve and getting a little bit better. Uh, This year, he is number 58 overall, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, with a 60.3 grade. That's not what you really would want from your left tackle you want them to be up in the 70s and these grades don't always translate especially i've been told the offensive and defensive line grades can sometimes be a little bit off but still you know something to keep an eye on there uh he's better in pass blocking than he is in run blocking last year when he had the ankle stuff he was about 55th best according to pff And then the year before that, his first year, he was 71st. So uh, he also had to move over from right tackle to left tackle. And that's been a big, huge adjustment for him in the NFL. He also gets some flags thrown on him. He's got five penalties already this year. So that's kind of got to stop. So Jed, getting better, still coming up the learning curve, needs to live up to the number 10 overall status. Now you go to the other side, right tackle, and it doesn't get much better than Jack Conklin. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro. Right now he's number 15 in the NFL with a 70.7 PFF grade. Uh, He's equally good at run blocking, pass blocking. He's athletic enough to pull and do all the things that uh, the Browns have to do in their wide zone scheme and all the cool things that Bill Callahan likes to do with this offensive line. Um, the the only thing about Jack is that he is somewhat injury prone. Last year, he started off with a dislocated elbow, ended up with a torn patellar tendon uh, and had to undergo surgery. So that's the thing that you have to watch out for with Jack. But when he's healthy, he's dynamite. And there are not many right tackles in the NFL that are better than him.
3: Andrew, who's the Bengals best tackle?
4: Um, that, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking about this for all season long. I I, I think I have to go with Jonah Williams. Um, I think Jonah Williams is a guy that doesn't, like, when you, when you talk about offensive linemen, you obviously want them to be good at their job, right? You, you need them to protect the quarterback. You need them to run block. But you also need an offensive lineman who's not going to kill you. And that is what Jonah Williams is. I mean, I remember when he came out for the draft that, you know, the draft season always leads us to ridiculous conversations. And there were so many people, well, I don't know if Jonah Williams can be good because his arms are about an inch too short or, you know, too, however short it was. And I remember thinking like this guy can play football and and it hasn't really mattered at the NFL level. I mean, he's only six foot four, three hundred ten pounds. Like when you think of an offensive tackle in the NFL, you think of oh here's this massive hulking guy, or you know maybe he's an athletic freak. You think of like a Trent Williams, but Jonah Williams doesn't really fit any of those molds. He's just very technically sound. Um, he's got a good first punch uh, when he when you know he makes contact with the defender coming off the edge. Um, I think you know like Muhammad mentioned earlier on here, the Bengals kind of did what the Chiefs did uh, after they lost to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, and they went okay this ain't gonna fly. We got to protect Joe Burrow better than this. And they replaced everybody but Jonah Williams, uh, and I think that was pretty valid. Jonah Williams is a guy to me that you know you'd be happy to have him at either one of your tackles. Um, he's he's a sound football player. He's a fundamentally strong football player. He's just a guy that you don't you don't have to worry about Jonah Williams. And to me, when you're talking about offensive tackles specifically, I think that carries a lot of weight.
3: Who is the Browns' best tackle, Ashley?
0: Well, this comes as no surprise, but it is Jack Conklin. I mean, Jed Wills, for as many questions as there are about him, I think what what strikes me is that the team and Jed, from talking to people, they really place a lot of weight on that ankle injury he had last year. And I think there are some valid questions about his game besides that and making the move over to left tackle, like Mary Kay talked about, and his run blocking, of course. But I just think overall, Jack Conklin's an all-pro. We saw that line kind of come apart at the seams last year after he was injured when they had to throw Blake Hans and James Hudson into the starting lineup for them. Um, Jack, Not having Jack last year really hurt the Browns' pass game, I think. It can't be overstated. I mean, all their offensive line injuries last year really hurt them, but like Mary Kay said, he's just so athletic. I think he fits in perfectly in Bill Callahan's scheme, in that wide zone scheme, and his ability to pull and do all those things Um, I think it would be a lot worse right now if he was still injured and not out there.
3: By the way, Alabama's starting tackles in 2018, Jonah Williams and Jed Wills. Mm -hmm. So former teammates. I think, Mary Kay, we're zeroing in here on a possibly non-controversial solution. Mm -hmm. What do you think we do here with the two tackles?
1: I think it's pretty obvious. I think uh, the two tackles are Jonah Williams and Jack Conklin.
3: Muhammad do we agree with that
2: I do agree with that and actually I'm gonna say I'm a little biased for Jed Willis because he's actually from my hometown uh, Lexington Kentucky and some of my friends went to high school with him as a matter of fact I almost played pickup basketball against him once but it didn't happen which is another story for another time but yeah he's for you
3: probably I think he would have dunked on you no offense
2: yeah (laughs) and I probably would have been on crutches so that's probably a good thing But yeah he's a great (laughs) guy and like I mean two Alabama tackles yeah definitely
4: I'd go with the Browns tackles
3: Andrew what do you think
4: Uh, I'm taking Jonah Williams and Jack Conklin I just I want to see more from Jed Wills Um, you know I I, he's a younger player in this league and I don't want to hold that against him Um, but you know I I, I would like to to kind of see how he how he kind of evolves in that position because like I said just stability matters so much to me there Um, you've got to be able to trust your offensive line and, and I think you've got that
3: with those two guys Ashley do you agree?
0: You know, I'm actually going to go with Mohammed, I think, and take both of the Browns' offensive tackles. I think I'm a little partial to Jed at the risk of sounding like a homer. I mean, I, I just think if it's good enough for Bill Callahan, it's good enough for me right now. And I do think, again, that ankle injury, Jed maybe got a lot of stuff or criticism flying his way that I think is going to be fixed maybe when we look at by the end of this year just by nature of him playing through that. For the entirety of last season, he got injured in week one, um, and I just think that he, because of like Andrew talked about his ceiling, that makes him more appealing to me in a lot of ways. Now, I think Jed has the luxury of being on a line that is filled with veterans, and and that's really helped him. But I think in our next segment, you know, we might we might get some of those guys on this imaginary line that we're creating. So again, I I just really like Jed in this wide zone scheme, and and I'm willing to kind of give him the slight edge given his injury history and given the fact that I think he has a lot of room to grow still and is
3: open to learning. So Conklin's in and are we, so we're we split on Jonah Williams and Jed Wills. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Their PFF grades are almost the same. Yeah, I understand the idea of like fully healthy. Let's get totally past the ankle injury. Upside, upside, upside. Jed Wills. But I don't know if we're there yet. So if we have to pick somebody, I think I'll go with Jonah Williams here. And I think and and plus then it's one of each. And everybody, yeah. oh, it's nice, they're friends. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we'll put Jonah Williams at left tackle and Jack Conklin at right tackle. But I mean, if the third best tackle between these two teams is Jed Wills, then I think you're in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. All right. We are gonna go to running backs and Ashley. So this is, you know, we're not Doing a full house backfield here. We're looking for one guy to get the ball, basically. Ashley, present the Browns.
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, let's just say it. The Browns, I think, have the best running back room in the NFL from top to bottom. Um, and that's when they're entirely healthy. You know, I think I'll, I would add Jerome Ford in there, even though he's on IR. But the guy that we are going to be talking about is currently the NFL's leading rusher in Nick Chubb. Um, let me, I have too many uh, tabs open here. But Nick Chubb this season, 740 yards on 126 carries, eight touchdowns. Um, And I just think what's not to love about Nick Chubb? Like to me, he is the perfect combination of old school and new school running back. Like he is an elusive runner, but he can also run you over. I mean, he can stiff arm guys. He really carries this team, I think, in a way that a lot of teams wish they had a running back that could do this. And He's just the perfect mixture of traits for me. Obviously, an old school guy with his personality, doesn't like to talk a lot, doesn't say much, kind of lets his play speak for itself. And I think that's a reason why, you know, in this early portion of the season, a lot of the complaints we've heard from Browns fans is that they aren't using Nick Chubb enough. Now, his carry numbers, you know, under like around, you know, between like 15 and 20 carries, that's been pretty standard in a Kevin Stefanski um, offense for Nick Chubb. But also throughout his career, I mean, he's averaged more than five yards a carry in every season he's played, which is just bananas to me. He's just such a smart runner. And I think when um, Stump Mitchell, the Browns running back coach, talks about you know, running backs being patient. Like they've talked about that a lot with Kareem Hunt, for example. I think Nick Chubb has that. And that's kind of like what I talk about with this combination of this guy who will run you over, but is smart about it and just has great moves out there. I just, I just think he's a total package. And if we were actually looking at the whole league and trying to pick a running back who we would start a franchise with, I think I would pick Nick Chubb.
3: All right, Andrew, what do you got for Bengals running backs?
4: Yeah, uh, well, the the Bengals running back position has kind of been, uh, or at least the run game, has kind of been a bugaboo for fans all year. I mean, you've got Joe Mixon as the starter. Samaj P. Ryan's kind of the bruising backup. And and Chris Evans is kind of your special teams guy. But, you know, obviously the guy that everybody wants to talk about is Joe Mixon. Um, It's Joe Mixon's an interesting case right now because he's it's crazy to say he's 26 years old, which is how old I am and all this everybody's talking about him like he's 55. Everybody's like, "Oh, well, you know, he's like nearing retirement age." And it's like, "I I don't. He's 26, but when you think about the running back position, he's got 1200 plus carries under his belt right now. This is a guy who when he at, when he is at his best, he's elusive. He can make people miss in the open field. Um, he's sneaky, powerful, You know, not afraid to run you over. He is 220 pounds, so he does have that ability to him, but he's really struggled at the beginning of the year. He has turned it around since, so has the offense as a whole. But um, when you talk about Joe Mixon, it's an interesting case because, like I said, is he at that age? You know, We don't know yet, and, and I think it's a scary question to even have to ask because once you have to start asking that, then you, get to a, then you get to a whole other conversation. So, you know, Joe Mixon for me right now, he's a guy that, you know, when the situation is right, you can rely on him when you run out of the shotgun, things like that, and he has some space. I mean, he's sent a guy's – I forget who the defender was in New Orleans. I mean, that guy's ankles are still in the rafters. He's still got that juice to him, but it's not what it was, and, and I think that that is kind of where we're at with Joe Mixon. He was one of the best running backs in the league, um, one of the more reliable running backs in the league. I think that play has dipped now, but he's still productive, and I think you can still get something
3: out of him. So, Muhammad, when, when you think about Joe Mixon, I mean, is he like a, a franchise back for a team that's trying to win right now? Andrew's kind of laying out a guy who's maybe headed the wrong direction a little bit in his career, but is, is he still good enough?
2: Uh, it is really hard to say. I'm not going to just throw him under the bus and say, oh, he's horrible, he's, he's on a downward trend, which maybe he is, but I'm not going to jump to that conclusion. Because he has looked really good the last two three games, I do think part of it, like I mentioned with Joe Burrow, having a rough game in week one, I mean, that's kind of the same thing for Mixon. I think they've been trying to find him open holes, find him those slots to run through. And I think they have been. I mean, he even called an offensive line meeting. Funny enough, I think it was like before the Ravens game a few weeks ago. So the leadership is there. You want a leader, you've got one. I mean, he's a team captain for a reason, but... I'm very iffy about Joe Mixon. I I just, I don't know. I don't know because we don't really know what is going to happen. I want to see how the rest of the season plays out. If he rebounds, I'll say, okay, it was a rough start. He's fine. He's got some more left to take.
3: But if he gets kind of wonky and goes back and forth, I would worry. All right, Mary Kay. So I think this is going to be an easy choice for all of us. But just like the context of Nick Chubb here we are. We're building an all 22 team. We're we're taking this team out on the road. We're going to take all comers and represent Ohio. Like how important, how valuable, how good is Nick Chubb for any team trying to win at the highest level?
1: You know, he's that good. And Oddly enough, he's gotten better this year. He's taken his game up to an even new level, which I didn't even know if that was possible. But when he put out a hype video, which is sort of out of character for him, when he did that before the season, you had to know uh, that Nick was coming loaded for bear and that you better watch out. I don't know how anybody even wants to try to tackle this guy. So, uh, you know, he's just tremendous. He's, you know, the players on the team absolutely love him. The team loves him. Uh, He's good for the city. He's got the right, you know, hand the ball back to the ref sort of mentality. He's old school. He fits in line with the whole, you know, you know, Jim Brown running back tradition here in Cleveland. And I think it's just Nick Chubb all the way.
3: All right. So I think we're all in agreement here. Nick Chubb is the guy, but again, as you know, that's, that's pretty good. There are other teams where you'd be looking at Joe Mixon and saying like, yeah, we'll, we'll roll with this guy, but we'll put Nick Chubb in as our running back. And that will lead us to a tight end discussion. Mary Kay, why don't you start with the Browns tight ends?
1: Okay. Well, um, I kind of focused this on um, mostly on Dave Njoku, because I figured we were uh, kind of going, looking for sort of that one guy. Um, so I'm going to talk about David and I can mention, you know, Harrison Bryant as well. But uh, David Njoku has been an enigma in his career here. First round draft pick in 2017, they traded up to get him, and uh, and he was never really able to live up to his potential. Uh, He never really had anybody that believed in him. So this year, you know, they put. Their money where their mouth was. They paid him. They made him the fifth highest paid tight end in the NFL at $13.7 million in average per year. They basically paid him for future production because he certainly hadn't warranted that in his previous years. So now here he is, number two in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, behind Travis Kelsey, a future Hall of Famer. Uh, He's that with a 83.5 grade. He's a tremendous run blocker. He does not get enough credit for that, and that really, really helps them a lot. He's gotten so much better at that over the years. There were times where he wasn't getting the ball enough as the number two tight end behind Austin Hooper, and he just said, I'm just going to become an amazing run blocker. So he added that into his game, and his hands have gotten better over the years, a lot better. What they don't do enough with him is target him in the red zone and in the end zone, I always say he's an eight-touchdown-a-year tight end if given those opportunities and given those targets in those areas. He needs to get those. I think that he won't really pop or flash until – Deshaun Watson gets back then I think Deshaun will get him the ball in those situations but he's established himself as one of the better tight ends in the NFL right now he's tied for 34 receptions with Amari Cooper he's second on the team to Cooper with 418 yards again he only has one touchdown that's not enough his career high is four he should easily double that maybe next year or the year after when Deshaun's in there for the whole entire season uh but they they believe in in David and I and I do too
3: Hurt now, but he'll be back in in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Muhammad, Cincinnati tight ends. All right. That's the easy one, starting
2: with the Bengals. The man, the myth, the legend, Hayden Hurst. His first year in Cincinnati, he came as he replaces CJ Uzama, who left for the New York Jets in free agency. Uh, Those are some pretty big shoes to fill, more from a leadership point of view, because I think everyone remembers Uzama saying, you know, why not us? It is us. And, and Hayden Hurst, I don't know if he's quite like the CJ Uzama vocal kind of guy, but man, you know, one thing about Hurst is he really just seems to love the Bengals. He, you know, he's had kind of a weird journey, drafted by Baltimore, didn't pan out, was third string at one point in Atlanta, which was his last team. And funny enough, he's already played against both of his old teams this year. But yeah, I mean, Joe Burrows talked a lot about him. He's a very dependable guy, you know, even with the receiving trio of Boyd and Chase and Higgins, which we'll get to later. Hayden Hurst just has a role. He still finds a way to make big plays. He's one of the best third down receivers um, in the league. I think one of the best third down tight ends specifically. Um, He really has become a favorite target in Cincinnati. Uh, Backing him up was Drew Sample, but he's on the IR due to injury. So really all you have behind Hurst is Mitchell Wilcox and uh, Devin Asiasi. Asiasi was just claimed off waivers before the season. He hasn't really done much. Wilcox has been all right. He's been more of a run blocker um, in the Bengals' run scheme. But, yeah, Hayden Hurst, uh, I think he's great, and I think he really fits Zach Taylor's system really well.
3: Andrew, Njoku is incredibly important to the Browns' offense, and Mary Kay kind of outlined that. How important is Hurst to what the Bengals are trying to do offensively?
4: Yeah, uh, very very important, and I think that kind of goes under the radar um, because when you have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst is not going to go out there and command you know twelve targets a game for ten catches. Uh, that's that's just not going to fly. Like if that happens, something's gone terribly wrong. Um, so it's really hard for Hayden Hurst to kind of shine. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where. He is your underneath threat. He is your underneath option. Um, he plays with such a fire, and like when you talk to him, he showed up. He got drafted in Baltimore. He was the team's first first round pick that year. Seven picks later, he's on the phone talking to people on TV. Lamar Jackson gets drafted. Mark Andrews is in that draft class, so they trade him to Atlanta, where he has a pretty good year. And then they draft Kyle Pitts. So you haven't really seen Hayden Hurst get that number one tight end opportunity full time, like he's kind of being given now. So, you know, they're not a, they're not expecting him to say, you know, go out there and stretch the field and do this and do that. But Hayden Hurst is so vital to what they do because, like Muhammad mentioned, he's great in the red zone, great on third downs, great underneath. I mean, you've got field stretchers like those guys. That's kind of the tight end that you're looking for.
3: Feels actually like we're talking about a position of strength again. Like these are two guys that play – real roles for these offenses how do you try to figure out which one we're going to take ashley
0: <laughs> so for me i mean the biggest thing i'm looking at is david is just such a better blocker and i think he's more proven so and i i do appreciate the fact like david and Jokic wasn't always a good blocker i think that is something you can teach guys and they can develop into but he's just become so important at that that in the preseason in the training and throughout training camp when he talked, when coaches talked about him, the blocking and how integral that is for the Browns um, just came up over and over and over again. And kind of like what Mary Kay said, I think like almost the the Browns don't, you know, always I think you get the most out of him, like especially like she's saying in the red zone that I, I do think we just haven't seen yet because he hasn't played with a good enough quarterback to do that and I do think that might change when Deshaun Watson is here but uh, for me the blocking I think is the one area that you look at these two guys and it really separates them what David does in that aspect of the game
3: and it is hard because the, the two teams ask these guys to do different things and Joku is basically the Browns second receiver and Hurst is kind of more of like a underneath guy for a team that that has three really established receivers Hurst 36 targets, 29 receptions. Njoku, 41 targets, 34 receptions. But Njoku has 12.3 yards per reception. Hurst has 7.8. He has almost 200 more receiving yards. And again, that probably is a reflection to a large part of how the team chooses to use them, not necessarily skill sets that would say one guy can't do the other thing. But I think Njoku's importance factors in a little bit here. Mary Kay, which way would you lean?
1: You know, I would go with David. I don't think he's reached his potential yet. I actually think that when he gets rolling with Deshaun Watson, he might get up almost into sort of a pro bowl conversation. He's on pace for a thousand yards. He was on pace for a thousand yards and 83 catches this season. Um, And that is with Jacoby Brissett, who, you know, really hasn't been very good yet in terms of just throwing it into the end zone or some of the red zone stuff uh so I think he's gonna really flash when Deshaun gets back um so I'm gonna go with David Njoku.
3: Ashley where would you lean?
0: I'm leaning for David I mean I'm not gonna repeat myself just basically everything I said the last
4: time okay I talked it's
0: David for me.
3: Andrew where are you leaning?
4: Yeah, I, I take uh, David Njoku too. Um, upside to me at the skill positions is is so crucial. So I think you just kind of have to take him and take the, the athletic ability that comes with him.
3: Muhammad?
2: I agree with all of that, yeah. I mean, I think they're both great, but Njoku just has a little more strength, a little better run blocker, which I think separates him, like Ashley mentioned, so I'd go with him.
3: All right, David and Joku it is. still got a lot of people left to do. We're going to lump the interior offensive linemen into one group here. So we're going to talk about the two guards and the center all together. Andrew, we'll start with the Bengals, present the guys there.
4: Yeah, um, so just from left to right, you got left guard Cordell Bolson. Uh, He was a draft pick this year out of North Dakota State. He was a fourth-round pick. Um, he's a bigger guard. He's six foot seven, three 315 pounds. So, you know, if that's kind of your thing, well, Cordell Volson's your guy. Uh, you know, he's got tackle size at, at a guard position. Um, you know, he has gotten better as the year has gone on. Uh, you know, he started out the year he was struggling in pass pro. I mean, his first matchup of his NFL career was against Cam Hayward. I mean, it was not an easy challenge for him, uh, but he has gotten better. Uh, he has played well. He is an older rookie. He's only 24 years old. Um, so he's not coming in really, really uh, raw, played at North Dakota State, like I said. So uh, you've got him at left guard. Uh, Ted Karras is at center. Uh, you really cannot find guy, enough guys in the Bengals locker room that say enough good things about Ted Karras. And I think what's important to note here with Ted is that whenever people talk about him, obviously they talk about, oh, you know, he's, he's a great center, you know, he's good at his job, blah, blah, blah. They really talk about the leadership qualities and the things that a center has to do. He's very intelligent. Zach Taylor tells stories all the time about how he's you know screaming and yelling on Saturday walkthroughs at 8:30 p.m. about okey double bug or whatever whatever scheme whatever blitz protection they want to pick up. So so Ted is your guy that kind of leads everything. He puts everything into place. He's played pretty well. Um, then Alex Kappa, uh, he came in as a free agent at right guard from the uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um so he's another bigger guy. He's six foot six. So it's a little weird the Bengals offensive line. You've got two guys at guard that are six seven and six six, and your two tackles are six foot four. So they kind of bigger from the inside out. Um Alex Kappa, I think, has been kind of one of the more underappreciated players on this team. He's an excellent guard. He's really, really improved and kind of helped out their pass pro, which like we talked about in a couple last segments, was was just abysmal. So, you know, Alex Kappa Ted Karras um, and Cordell Bolson, I, and they they've really improved as the year has gone along. So they're not, I would say, the best interior trio in the NFL, but they're they're pretty talented, and they've they've certainly made it Joe
3: Burrow's job a little bit easier. All right, Ashley, interior offensive line for the Browns.
0: Yeah, so the the interior offensive line for Cleveland is you know, anchored by, I think, two of the best guards in all of the NFL in Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. Um, currently, according to PFF, their offensive grades, Joel is number one with an 89.2 grade. Wyatt is number two at, I believe, 85.3. Run blocking, Wyatt mm-hmm. is at 89.2, which is Gonna play around with this really quickly because I can't read my own writing. He <laughs> leads the NFL, sorry, eighty-eight point two, and Joel is at eighty-five point five, and that is number four among gar or, or number three among guards in the NFL. Um, and then they, but the pass blocking grade, Joel still in the top 10 with an 80.6 grade among guards. This is the, I think we can all agree, maybe the weakest part of Wyatt Teller's game, but he's still, it's because he gets a little handsy and he can get, he's kind of kind of can be prone to penalties, which we have seen. We saw it, of Mm. course, in the goal line in Atlanta um, on that one, you know, touchdown that got, ended up being, you know, not a touchdown chance. Um, And he's at 66.9 there with his grade. Um, And then, they are overall just two of the best pulling guards in the league. They fit perfectly in this Bill Callahan scheme. Um, of course, given Cleveland's offense, it's extra important. They are, you know, behind besides Nick Chubb, like, you know, they're, they're the three most, I think, important parts of this Browns' run offense. Um, and then at center, I'm going to talk about Ethan Posich because Nick Harris is done for the year. Um, he got injured in that first preseason game. Um, But Ethan Post has just kind of quietly had a pretty nice year, even though he's pretty big for a center. um, He's, I think, like 6'5 or something. He's still pretty good at pulling, too. Um, He's in the top 10 in all of his blocking grades among centers in the NFL with that minimum snap count. Um, And all those grades I gave for Joel and Wyatt and their rankings, those were all among guards in the league with a minimum snap count as well. Um, And he kind of just seamlessly stepped in for the most part. I think in training camp, we saw a few instances where he had issues with snapping the ball. And I know one training camp practice, he had like two bad snaps in a row and they had to pull him, but he has really stepped in with Nick Harris being gone. And, you know, he's a guy that they they kind of went out and got as insurance and it turns out they needed him. So I think it was a good move because Nick Harris is of course the guy you drafted He's fifth round pick uh, two years ago now, but, Ethan Posich has come in and and even though we haven't seen a lot of Nick Harris you know you just get that sense that that he really stepped in well and fits in with what Bill Callahan wants from this team
3: All right, Mary Kay, I think we might be able to dispense with the guard discussion pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. No offense to the Bengals. (laughs) It it just feels like Teller and Batonio would win a lot of these discussions with almost any offensive line in the league, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. 100%. Two of the absolute best in the NFL. Uh, They would probably uh, win best guard tandem, no no matter who they're going up against. And so I think it's a a pretty easy uh, conclusion to make.
3: Muhammad, can we, you know, guard talk? I don't know what guard talk on podcast does. I don't know if people are like, can we just get to Jamar Chase already? So, like, are we good? Are we good, Muhammad?
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, the great speak for itself and, like, Brian Callahan – or, no, Bill, not Brian. Brian is the son of the Bengals. Bill Callahan, I mean, he's one of the best
3: offensive line coaches in the league, so you can't argue that at all. Okay, so then we'll take the two Browns guards – Andrew made a pretty compelling case um, for Ted Karras at center. Muhammad, how how important do you think Ted Karras is? How well do you think he's played this year? He's huge.
2: Physically and uh, figuratively, he's huge. I mean, uh, just the way he leads, the way that the linemen kind of look at him, given he's one of the most experienced ones. And he's been great. I mean, I think he's really got a good good relationship with joe burrow like they seem to click and when you can click with your quarterback
3: and the rest of your line the way that he does you can't go wrong with a guy like teddy karras all right so muhammad and andrew would you would both of you lean karras at the center spot here
4: yeah i i lean karras um you know i think what he brings to the table is so important for a center and also with postage i wonder how much of you know i wonder how much of his play is having you know, those two behemoths on the left and right of him. Um, Ted Karras doesn't really have that. So I wonder what Ted would look like in that situation. Um, but I think Ted is good enough to, to take on his own.
3: Mm-hmm. All right, Ashley, what do you think? I, and again, Ethan posted like that kind of was an under-the-radar acquisition. We did a lot of Nick Harris in the offseason. I don't – and obviously, again, mm-hmm. J.C. Tretter had been here a long time. Everybody knows that. They really – the Browns might be in a world of hurt if they had not – gotten Ethan is as, as backup insurance here, but is, is Karis maybe the pick here?
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm just leaning Posich because his grades are better across the board, which again, PFF are grades are, are, you got to take them with a grain of salt, especially like Mary Kay said at these offensive line positions. But I think like we're almost underrating what Ethan Posich has done this year, because this is not an easy task. And I know Mary Kay and I talked a lot about this last year, you don't appreciate how important a good center is until you don't have one. And I've just been really impressed with what he's been able to do this year, kind of having to come in last minute when the Browns were already in their preseason games and, and fit in. And yes, it does help to have Joel Petonio and Wyatt Teller playing alongside you. But my argument is we already know those three work well together. So I'd like to keep them all together on this imaginary team we're making. (laughs)
3: Mary Kay, what do you think of the center here?
1: Uh, you know what? It it almost seems like a, a toss up. It it seems like you could sort of go either way. Um, so since we're using the the Browns' two amazing guards, um, just in the interest of um, you know fairness and all of that stuff, I'll, I'll go with the the Bengal center.
3: So I, I do think here, we can, we'll revisit at the end and double check our team. If we go with Karis, and we'll go with Karis for now, that's three Browns offensive linemen and two Bengals offensive linemen. So we, we've got to have more Browns than Bengals on the offensive line, right. given how these teams are built and what they're good at. Whether that should be 3-2 or 4-1, right? I mean, I think we can, we can double check it at the end. But first, got to do the fun stuff, and we'll do it next. Receiver talk. After this. All right, we're back. Last position is receiver. We're going to take three guys here because, you know, Mm -hmm. passing the ball is fun. Muhammad, present the Bengals receivers. Oh, boy,
2: is this going to be fun. Chase is not on the chase because once he's gone, he's gone. Jamar Chase, the number one receiver for the Bengals, second year out of LSU, Pepsi Offensive Rookie of the Year, Pro Bowler, All-Pro His rookie year, big reason why the Bengals went to the Super Bowl thanks to his good old buddy Joey B. Then right behind him, T. Higgins drafted the year before him. They actually went head-to-head in the national championship game when Higgins played for Clemson Chase at LSU. I mean, Higgins is a number two receiver on the Bengals, but on any other roster, easily, easily a number one receiver. He's 6'4". He's very fast. He can grab over most defenders, whether it's uh, downfield or in the middle of the zone. And then, man, I'm big on this guy just because I've been following him for so long. Number three receiver, even though, again, I think he'd be a number one or at the very least a two on another team, Tyler Boyd, seventh-year receiver. So you want to talk about veteran experience. He's one of the most longest-tenured players, not just as far as experience, but being on the Bengals, on the Bengals roster. And the thing with Boyd you have to appreciate is he's seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, and the really really ugly the the interesting thing is his best year as a receiver came in 2019 when the Bengals went two and 14 so the guy wants to win whether his team is winning or not so you know I'm really big on Tyler Boyd but yeah those are the three receivers last year they led the NFL in receiving yards among all trios ahead of the Rams trio which funny enough won the Super Bowl thanks to Cooper Cup but yeah Jamar Chase T Higgins Tyler Boyd pick your poison all right Ashley I
3: guess Pick your poison.
0: (laughs) Am I doing the receivers for the Browns? Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, so we have obviously Amari Cooper is the number one receiver on the Browns. Um, They went out and traded for him, which, again, is something that I believe Mary Kay advocated that they do before that was even a possibility. (laughs) Um, And he's just, I think, lives up to the hype in terms of he is known for his route running, and he is so good at those double moves. Um, and you you hear that from just about everyone. He has 422 yards this year. Um, not as much as the Bengals guys, but again, I think when Deshaun Watson comes back, you will see so much more from Amari Cooper. Um, and then After Amari, the running joke has become true in that the Browns leading number two receiver is David Njoku, actually. Um, But I'll talk about DPJ, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who, you know, sixth round pick two years ago out of Michigan, was never really utilized at Michigan correctly. Um, He has 336 yards this year. He's great at contested catches where, of course, Amari is more of a route runner. Um, I do think, you know, Donovan has been a pleasant surprise, but I think he's a guy who we've talked about this a lot on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast that maybe isn't a true number two receiver in this league and might be better suited as like a number three kind of guy where where we can come out, have those occasional big explosive plays, make contested catches um, and do that sort of thing. And then um, there's that guy, you know, we'll talk about David Bell who draft pick this year, third rounder, um, known for his great hands. They haven't utilized him a whole lot. He had a big catch this past weekend against the Ravens uh, in the Browns final offensive drive, but really he's one of those typical like slot guys that you think of where he has great hands, not necessarily that fast vertical speed. Um, And then I'll throw in Anthony Schwartz in there, who we know hasn't really done a ton this year, who I know Mary Kay feels like has often been maybe underutilized or affected by his injuries um, that he had last year as a rookie. So he hasn't got a lot of playing time. So definitely, I don't think a guy we would consider for this, but he's their speedster um, who has definitely had some issues catching the ball. So that's pretty much the, the makeup of this receiver room as it stands right now.
3: Actually just a heads up if you go back and listen to this podcast later I'm going to cut out the Anthony Schwartz part. I
0: figured you so would you know. but I had to you know what Mary Kay and I are are I think on the same train with Anthony and the struggles he's had and I do think a lot of his struggles have been mental but I'll just say it off the bat like he's he's not in contention to make this final 3 grouping of receivers that we're going to have. I really think the Browns only have one guy that that we can talk about in that
3: way. All right Mary Kay I want to ask you like a philosophical question about this. Could you see the Browns ever having a trio like the Bengals have? You know, that they take Chase in the top 10, they take T. Higgins very high in the second round. It just becomes a, a priority for them. Certainly, the Browns went out and got Amari Cooper, and that was a priority do you think they would invest capital and resources to build a receiver group to this extent? Or, you know, we see them build the offensive line. They take shots in the third round and later on receivers. Do they just go about it differently? Could you imagine three dudes like this with the Browns?
1: Well, it wasn't so long ago that the Browns had Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, at receiver, and that was supposed to be sort of a pick-your-poison receiving core. So I can absolutely imagine it. And not only uh, do I think they uh, do, I think they absolutely should do it. I think they will. I think it's going to get to the point where they realize what we've been talking about on this pod that really great receivers can help make your quarterback. Great. So if you're going to put that kind of money into Deshaun Watson, you need to give him the weapons you've got. I mean, I'll tell you what, the the quarterback to receiver play over the last couple of years has been so amazing in this league. And I think uh, that battery is just so vitally important and they do need to absolutely 100 percent step up their game. I've been calling for a better uh, receiving core since the offseason. And, uh, and I, I think it has hurt them to a degree. I mean, their young guys have combined for like nine catches, three young guys. It's just, it just hasn't been good. And you can't put all of that pressure on Amari Cooper. So he would have been better with one or two other really good receivers. They need to do it. It's a winning formula. The Bengals know what they're doing there. It's so smart. But I have, um, I have a name for this uh, for this little competition and um, mm. I, I think is now a good time to roll it out. Yeah. You ready? Do it. Everybody ready? Yeah. Let's go. Jamari. That's oh,
0: great. You win, Mary Kay. I like Kay. it. Yeah.
3: But, Jamari. No, you see, you come up Jamari. with the best name combos. <laughs> so you always. She you, was uh, even I, really I close struggle. with
0: Jacanby. And then we all landed but that was on Jacobbi. But her son came yeah. up with that. So it's obviously in the genes it, over it in is. Mary yeah. Kay's house. Yeah.
3: I think Andrew and Muhammad, you you missed it. I was ca- trying to do Jacobably. <laughs> Jacobably. Jacobably. <laughs> and that right? did not go well oh, at all. Boy. Um, Andrew, is it I mean, you know, certainly I think you observe from a Browns perspective, it's like, oh, it feels like the Browns just sort of invested cap resources and draft capital in the offensive line and the Bengals did it at receiver and it's just I don't know if it's if it's just kind of where things led them or if it was a philosophical thing is it is it a philosophical thing Andrew do you think with the Bengals that this is how they want to go about it or was it like I don't know T Higgins was sitting there early in the second round and then my gosh Jamar Chase everybody in the world would have taken him how did we end up in a world where the Bengals have so many good receivers
4: Yeah. um, Well, first off, my answer is not going to be as good as Mary Kay's. Mary Kay's out here making everybody else look bad. Um, (laughs) So I apologize for that. Um, But yeah, you know, I think it was one of those situations where you draft Joe Burrow and how many times do you see, you know, a situation where you have a quarterback go first round and immediately when you get, when you get your next pick, you take a pass catcher. Like, you know, the Bengals did that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, like there's, to me, it was, it was a situation of circumstance, but I think it maybe changed the way people look at how you need to build teams because everybody watched the playoffs last year. Everybody watched Joe Burrow running for his life, like his literal life against the Titans, against the Chiefs, against the Rams. And, I mean, are, do the Bengals make the Super Bowl with Panay Sewell as, as one of their tackles? And Jamar Chase somewhere else. I don't know. Like that's a really interesting question, and I think the Bengals really they they deserve credit for this too because you know taking Jamar over a tackle when everybody kind of knew going into the year that your offensive line wasn't going to be great was gutsy, and it, it it really makes you think because you have a situation like what I know the quarterback is so important, but you have a situation like what happens in Atlanta where you have. Calvin Ridley already on the team you know really good receiver but obviously he's suspended this year then you draft Kyle Pitts one pick before you take Jamar Chase then you take Drake London and those guys combined for like four catches this past Sunday like it is so difficult to do this and you need the quarterback and you need all of these pieces to come together so to me I I think it kind of Maybe change a lot of people's perspectives, not just fans, but maybe in the NFL of how a successful team can be built. So philosophically, I think it's—I think it was a smart
3: play. All right, so I think we're putting on Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and I think then we're deciding whether it's Amari Cooper or Tyler Boyd as the third guy. Muhammad, does that mm. sound right to you? And where would you lean for that third spot if we're agreed on the top two?
2: Jason Higgins, uh, yes, I absolutely believe that's the way to go on the first two. Uh, you do raise a good case with Cooper and Boyd. You know, I mean, they've both been in the league for just as long. I think Cooper has been in the league just a year longer. I mean, you know, I'll be fair. Obviously, Cooper, he's made more Pro Bowls. He's had better numbers. He's been the main guy more than Boyd has been. And, you know, even though Boyd's played just as long, I mean, Before Chase and Higgins, I mean, besides that one year in 2019 where he just went off with A.J. Green, I mean, he hasn't really put up the numbers Cooper has had. And I'm not trying to say that one's not more talented than the other. Mm -hmm. I think they're both very talented. I think Boyd could easily be a number one receiver on any other team in the NFL, which shows how deep the Bengals are. But I do believe Cooper presents a few more intangibles that I think has kept him so productive with his third team. So I would probably lean a little bit towards Amari Cooper.
3: Mary Kay, if that's our group, Chase mm-hmm. Higgins and Cooper, does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, it, it does sound right to me. Uh, I, I think Cooper is really a a number one receiver in his own right. You know, maybe a number two on certain teams. So I would have to keep him up there uh, in this group as as the number three choice. I think that um, I like the way that we have it, but I, I definitely would put him in that that group.
3: Okay, I, I don't think we're going to have any dispute there, right? So if, if, if we're good with those three guys as our receivers, what we wind up with offensively is six Browns and five Bengals. And this would be our team. Joe Burrow at quarterback. Nick Chubb at running back. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Amari Cooper at receiver. David and Joku at tight end and then an offensive line left to right of Jonah Williams, Joel Batonio, Ted Karras, Wyatt Teller, and Jack Conklin. Andrew, are we ready to go out and conquer the world with those 11 dudes? How does that sound to you?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, what's that meme? It's like the astronaut looking at Earth saying it's like it's all Ohio. It, it always has been. Like I feel like that's that's good enough to conquer the world. I don't know if it's good enough to beat the Bills, um, but it's, it's, it's a good lineup. Um, you know, I – it's funny. I went into this and I was doing all the math and I was like, I think the Bengals are a better team than the Browns. And I have more Browns offensive players. And I was kind of like thinking I was like, I was looking at it, but I just think that the skill guys for the Bengals make such a difference. And there's mm-hmm. the gap there is, is wider. So uh, I think we've got a good group here.
3: Ashley, do you think, and again, the two on the offensive line, we yeah. wind up, if we, if we wind up with three Browns and two Bengals, the question is, should it be four Browns and one Bengal? We wound up, Jonah Williams, Jed Wills was close, and we went Jonah Williams. And then Ethan Posix, Ted Karras was a discussion, and we went Karras. So the Bengals won both close calls on the offensive line, and the three Browns guys were sure things. Yeah. So, I, I you know, it's six, five Browns. It could be seven, four Browns on offense, I think. And again, Watson Burrow was close, mm-hmm. and that one went to the Bengals. So it's like um, – I, I, I don't know. I think I think this feels right, but do you want to quibble with anything, Ashley?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, along the offensive line, I mean, I do think they're I, – I don't know. I'm still really for Ethan Postick. I'll let you guys have the left tackle argument, but I just think he's been so underrated this year. I think, like, the Browns offensive line is just so good. Like, I think they, they are deserving of having four guys on this imaginary team we're making. Um, they just – play really well together and I know that's obviously where the Bengals have struggled in recent years so it's hard for me to get over my own like I guess almost you know perceptions of the team that I cover I'm really deferential to these guys because you know Mary Kay and I do have the luxury of getting to watch them every day and what they do and getting to hear from Bill Callahan and those things so I would I would just really really push really hard it almost doesn't matter to me if you want to take Jed Wills or Ethan Posick but I would I would definitely be in favor of adding one of those guys, but everything other than that, like I think this is this is pretty spot on. And, and to Andrew's point about almost being surprised about the number of Browns players here, like I think that this is the Browns' problem, right? We've been talking about it the last couple weeks. The talent is great on paper, and for some reason, they just haven't figured out how to put it all together yet. When we're looking at the bigger picture of what this team in Cleveland and what its problems have been this year,
3: Muhammad, what do you think? Uh, should we should we tweak something on the offensive line or does this feel right
2: I mean Ashley made a good point I mean when you look at how bad the Bengals offensive line has traditionally been I could see where she's coming from on adding that extra spot making it 4-1 for the O-line but I think everything else is spot on and honestly whether you change the O-line or not whether it's 4-1 Browns or 3-2 Browns I don't think it matters I think uh, everything else is spot on you know on paper, yeah, there are a lot of players for the Cleveland Browns, but like Andrew mentioned, the gap between the skill guys for Cincinnati and everyone else kind of explains that, plus some other issues that I think <clears throat> excuse me, that the Browns people can speak a little more on, but yeah, I am settled on that. I feel good about it.
3: So I'm sitting here trying to do the math in my head, Mary Kay, and then I then I got a pen and a piece of paper, and I'm still having trouble with it. But I think this is right. So we did the defensive podcast first. And in that grouping, we wound up with seven Bengals on defense and four Browns. Hmm. And then we split the kicker and the punter. So right now, the edge on offense is six to five Browns. But if we switched the center spot, it would make it seven, four Browns offensively. And then totally for the team, it would be 11-11 and offense, defense, at 12-12 when you go special teams. As it is now we would have a final 13 to 11 edge for the Bengals. So, I guess the question is Mary Kay, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year and the Browns are currently 2 and 5. Is it okay <laughs> if the Bengals have a slight edge in this discussion yes. or would it make more sense when we look at the rosters to say, you know what, let's make the offensive line switch and it makes it 12-12 and everybody's happy and tied?
1: You know, I think it's totally fine like this. I, I think it's absolutely fine. Like you said, they went to the Super Bowl and the Browns are kind of plodding along here. So I think it's okay the way that we have it. I, I haven't had a chance to listen yet to the, the defensive one. Um, but I'm actually kind of surprised that um, that there weren't more defensive Browns that won their spots. Because I do think even though they're not playing very well right now, They're a very talented team. So I'm very eager to go listen to that one. Um, But I think this is fine the way that we have it.
3: I I do think in the end, offensively, it's sort of like core Browns with spectacular Bengals sprinkled in. And defensively, it was core Bengals with spectacular Browns sprinkled in. Interesting. right? That it's like, hey – you know you're sort of building like a run game and you've got the running back and the tight end and the offensive line with the browns and then you throw in Joe Burrow and Jabar Chase and you're ready to roll. Right. And defense it was like hey the Bengals kind of do a lot of things well and you throw in, you know, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and let's get after it. And it's like, "Oh, okay, well this all kind of works together." So, I let's I guess we'll keep it with this. Sorry, Ashley. I could go either way, but I do think in the end who's who's a little who's in a better position right now as a franchise. And this is when Deshaun Watson gets back. Obviously, things are going to change to some degree, maybe to a humongous degree. But we'll keep it with this. 11 offensive players. It's six Browns, five Bengals overall for this exercise. We called it an Mm All-22, but we did have to do the special teams. It's 12 to 10 in the All-22. It's 13 to 11, both edges for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we will let you guys go with that. We would direct you back to that defensive pod. And we would direct you here. If you care about the Bengals or you're a Browns fan, you want some Bengals information because it's always good to know about the team in your division that's doing other things, listen to Strictly Stripes. If you're a Bengals fan and you might have some interest in the Browns or you want to keep tabs on the enemy, listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Read Mm -hmm. cleveland.com. You can slash Bengals. You can slash Browns. You'll find the individual pages. Again, it's like don't worry about what it says at the front. You just want to find great Coverage of the football teams that you care about. We're excited to do our best to bring that to you in podcasts, in written form, in any way we can do it. So for now, for Ashley, for Muhammad, for Andrew, and for Mary Kay, I'm Doug. And that was a special crossover edition of Strictly Stripes mm-hmm. and Orange and Brown Talk.